The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. I trust that this weekend you've enjoyed the presence of the Savior in your family and that you're honoring Him and grateful for Him every day. Galatians chapter 6. We're going to finish our study in the book of Galatians today. If you're visiting with us, we typically teach through books of the Bible. This is our 12th and final message from the book of Galatians. We find ourselves in Galatians chapter 6 beginning in verse 11. So we're going to look at that section of God's Word together as we conclude it. Uh, starting next week, we will be doing the Advent, as you saw the lighting of the Advent candle. We'll spend the next four Sundays celebrating that. And then we'll do a study on biblical manhood and womanhood starting the first week in January. So Galatians chapter 6, beginning in verse 11. Paul writes these words. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision matter. What counts is the new creation. Father, as we look at this final section of your word in Galatians, would you use this time to teach us to draw us near to you and to have a full understanding of the gospel message and what it means to be Christ's followers. We pray in his name. Amen. If you've been with us, it seems like we have preached the same sermon over and over for the last 11 weeks, actually, as we've looked at Galatians. The message of Paul has been consistent throughout every chapter of Galatians. So this is same song, six chapter, six verse. And over and over, Paul's message is quite clear. He's attacking false teachers who come in and said, the gospel is faith in Christ plus something else. And over and over, Paul has said, no, it's faith in Christ alone. Normally, when Paul comes to the end of his letters, you can look at all the other books, Philippians, Colossians, uh, Ephesians, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. You have a long litany of folks that he mentions by name and things he goes into before he says grace and peace. He doesn't do that in Galatians. He had a very short introduction, a very short ending, and it's because of the seriousness of the message. In fact, John MacArthur in his commentary in Galatians says this, the end of Paul's letter to the Galatians carries the same weight of seriousness, urgency, and indignation as the rest of the letter. His deep concern for the spiritual welfare of those to whom he writes is evident throughout the entire epistle. Paul comes to the conclusion and he says, I- I'm going to drive the point home one more time. It's his parting salvo, if you will, as he, as he bombards them and says, I want you to understand the issue is faith in Christ and Christ alone. And he doesn't back away from that message. In fact, instead of ending it with uh, gratitude and thanksgiving for all the different people, he drives home the point one last time. You might say Paul did not want anyone to misunderstand what Galatians was about. He didn't want to miscommunicate it anyway, didn't misunderstand it. And so that's what he does. He begins on a rather personal note. If you look at uh, verse 11, he he says, uh, see what large letters I write with, with my own hand. So he's saying with my own hand, perhaps Paul is picking up the pen for the first time. It was quite normal in that day and age for an author to use a scribe or amanuensis is the word that's used there to dictate to them what he was writing. And so perhaps Paul has had a scribe write the rest of the letter. Now he's says, I pick up the pen and write with my own hand. Maybe just that section, maybe the entire epistle. It's not unusual for that to be done. 
And then if you look at that verse, he says, see what large letters I write with. Well, the, the scholars have questioned what, what does that mean, large letters? I mean, in our day and age, if we want to emphasize something, perhaps he was doing it for emphasis. In our day and age, you send out an email, for instance, you want to emphasize something, you hit cap locks and you do all caps, or maybe you italicize something, underline something, maybe put it in bold, or maybe in 24 font, you know, 24 point font, whatever. We have ways to emphasize things. Perhaps Paul was just writing with large letters to emphasize this. Other scholars think, if you remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talked about having a thorn in the flesh, that he had some type of physical infirmity. And so scholars have speculated that perhaps the physical infirmity that Paul had had to do with his eyesight. If you remember in 2 Corinthians 12, three times he prays for this uh, thorn in the flesh to be removed. Three times he's told God's grace is sufficient for him. The thorn stays and Paul lives with this thorn in the flesh. And so some scholars speculate verse on the fact that he had a thorn in the flesh and that this mentions writing with large letters that perhaps he had an eye issue of some kind. We can't be certain about either one, but Paul begins this section of personal note. But rather rapidly, he moves from that personal note to talking about the theology that he wants to, that, that he has driven home chapter after chapter after chapter. And he talks about the theology that's there. You know, every message in Galatians so far, we've looked at what salvation is, what the true gospel message is. And I've read numerous authors and uh, listened to numerous sermons on this. I've gone and, you know, there's some pithy statements by preachers and by authors. Here are a few of them talking about uh, salvation. Salvation is received, not achieved. We're saved by Christ's atonement, not by our attainment. We cannot earn by merit what Christ has secured for us by grace. And the point of all of those sayings is this, when you look at those. We can't earn our salvation. We can't work for our salvation. You can't join enough churches, be baptized enough ways, give enough money, serve in as many nurseries to somehow earn your salvation. We as Westerners somehow feel like God has a scale. If the good outweighs the bad, we're in for eternal life. If the bad outweighs the good, we really don't want to talk about it and think about it. But the reality of it is the message of the gospel is quite simple. In fact, following last service, one of our brothers came up to me and said, Gary, I'll tell you how simple it is. This week, my six-year-old daughter came to us and said she wanted to trust Christ as a Savior for sins to be forgiven. We got on our knees together, and she trusted Christ. Now she's here telling everybody about it. That's simple. Simple enough for a seven-year-old to come to faith in the Savior. The gospel message came at a high cost, but the message is not complex. The message is quite simple. And it's that Christ has given his life for us and eternal life is found in him. And so Paul moves on and he moves from, uh, from this personal note to saying, I've got one thing to boast about, but before I boast about it, and it's going to be about Jesus, before I boast about it, let me tell you the problem with these false teachers. These false teachers that have come to Galatia. These false teachers have brought this bad theology in. Uh, they have wrong theology and they have wrong motives. They have wrong theology and they have wrong motives. Well, we've just seen their wrong theology. In fact, if you write in your Bibles, make sure you go back and underline Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, because there Paul says, they have come to you. I'm amazed that you're so quickly deserting Christ who called you by the grace of Christ to a different gospel. And early on, he says their theology is wrong. It's a different gospel. When you add anything to faith, it is not the true gospel. The true gospel is faith in Christ alone. It's not faith plus anything else. The Reformation was fought over issues like sola fide, sola by faith alone, sola gratia, by grace alone. And we recognize that all the way through history that this has been a battle. But the truth is Christ and his death is enough. 
Perhaps the most basic verse that we all know is, or not basic, but a verse that we all have memorized since we were kids is John 3.16. Let's read it together out of this version. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Everyone who believes has eternal life. Not everyone who achieves, succeeds, agrees, but everyone who believes has eternal life. And so for us to experience eternal life in Christ, it's placing our faith in him alone. I do a lot of funerals, a lot of funerals. Over the years we've been here, 35 years, I looked on my computer and I've done over 300 funerals in the time we've been here. And so oftentimes you meet with the family and you know, their questions are not about, uh, about you know, what's going to happen to, the question is always what's going to happen to this person. And it's always, it depends on if they know Christ or not. You know, when I look at that casket that oftentimes is right here in front of the auditorium, nobody wants to talk about the Cowboys winning streak. Nobody wants to talk about their portfolio. Nobody wants to talk about what's happening in the world and the events of politics. But what matters at that time is one thing, whether or not that person has placed their faith in Christ and Christ alone. And so I'd be remiss if we went through the whole book of Galatians and didn't stop and ask you the question, have you personally trusted Christ and Christ alone for eternal life, for the forgiveness of your sins, for eternal life? That's the message of Galatians. So Paul says, hey, these guys had a false theology, but they also had false motives. They had two false motives. They were motivated by pride. They were motivated by fear. You say, Gary, where do you get that? Well, it comes right out of the scriptures. If you look at verse 12, he says uh, in the first part of that verse, they desire to impress you. They desire to make a good showing. And so these are people who are religious leaders who are seeking to impress other people. They're saying, we want you to do this. We, we want you to follow the law, be circumcised and follow the law so that we might impress other people. Now, we all know people who seek to impress other people, right? I, I mean, we, we all know people like that. People who drop names, they drop more names than you have on your contact list on your phone. I, I mean, they're always trying to impress you with who they know, or maybe they're trying to impress you with where they've been. Maybe they try to impress you with what they've accomplished. And, and, and that's what he's saying here. These are people who are trying to impress you religiously. And he, he goes on and he says, by the way, they're not going to do this themselves. It's not that they want to follow the law. They want you to follow it so they can report back to headquarters what they've achieved. Look at verse 13. For those who are circumcised don't even keep the law themselves. They desire for you to do that so they may boast about your flesh. And, and, and it's like a bunch of pastors gathered together for a meeting. I can't tell you over the years how many times I've been to pastors' conferences and all of a sudden somebody begins to drop about the size, of, to drop hints about the size of their church, et cetera, et cetera. And honestly, I got caught up in that in the past and now I just kind of walk away. What difference does it make? And that's what's happening here. They're bragging about their spiritual conquest and their spiritual leadership and their spiritual whatever. Numbers and how much has happened, size of ministry and what I've done and what I've accomplished and all these I've baptized. And so they were proud. They were boasting. They were boasting. They were boasting about what they had done. One author writes this about boasting. Boasting has long been a serious problem among religious people. The sanctimonious trumpet-blowing Pharisees shamelessly craved the attention of people. They were religious show-offs. Jesus pointed out how they loved front seats in the synagogue, respectful greetings on the streets, and praise for their public acts of piety. 
Likewise, believers in the church at Corinth boasted about their superior wisdom, their favorite teacher speaking skills, and their extraordinary spiritual experiences. They were full of themselves, but not full of love. They boasted about their spiritual experiences. Amazing, isn't it? Every Sunday we gather before the first hour, before the 8.15 hour in the sound booth back there, and we gather together, hold hands, the folks in the sound booth, the folks on the worship team, and myself. And one of my prayers every week is, Lord Jesus, would you hide us behind the cross so that you're seen through us? See, when you achieve success in ministry, achieve success in your family, achieve success in the business world, that do you give glory to God or do you receive glory unto yourself? And Paul is saying, hey, these guys, they're boasting in what they've accomplished. They're not worried about you. They're worried about being able to boast about what they've done through you. And I'm going to tell you, spiritual pride is sickening. I know. And I've had to to wrestle with that over the years myself. And it's a battle sometimes. And we begin to judge others. Man, they don't spend time in the Word. They don't belong to a small group. They don't. They don't. They don't. And the reality of it is, I like what Paul says, we'll look at it in a second. When I boast, I boast in Jesus, period. I was going to boast this morning about LSU beating A&M, but I can't do that because then I would be, <laughs> I, I'm in a conundrum up here. I'm not sure how to get around all that. But, but you look at that. What are you boasting in and who are you boasting to and what are you boasting about? The second thing about these guys, not, not only were they motivated by pride, they were motivated by fear. They're motivated by fear. When, when you look at their lives in the second portion, he said uh, they, they want to do these things. Look at verse 12. That they desire to impress you, to compel you to be circumcised, simply that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Well, what does that mean? They, 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 they want to impress you so they won't be persecuted. Well, think about it for a second. These are people who have practiced Judaism for a long time. And now they're coming to faith in Christ. Who would persecute them? See, what, they're saying, what Paul is saying is you don't have to keep the law anymore. You don't have to do that. You don't have to do the feast. You don't have to go to the Sabbath. You don't have to do things. Who would persecute them? Well, the people that would persecute them would be family members and other Jewish people who are thinking, you're crazy. How can you follow after Christ? How can you desert our ways? How can you desert our background? How can you desert our ethnicity even? How can you desert us for Christ? It literally in the first century, if a man came to faith in Christ, his family would have a funeral because they considered him dead. If you had a business, it would be boycotted. If you had a family, you'd be ostracized. And so what Paul is saying here, these false teachers, they desire to impress you so they won't be persecuted because of the cross. One of the things I admire in our day and age are men and women who are willing to stand up for the cross even when persecution comes their way. Jot down voices of the martyrs and take a look at their website sometime. I spent about a half an hour looking at different videos for even was going to use one today but decided not to. But there are dozens and dozens of videos of men and women who are currently experiencing persecution in our world for the cross of Christ. And I say, may their tribe increase and to God be the glory as these men and women stand up for the cause of Jesus. And so Paul says, hey, they were motivated. Their motivation is, is this wrong theology and, and this, this pride and this desire not to be persecuted. Their motives are wrong and their theology was wrong. And so the solution is, 
when it comes to the gospel to have proper motives coupled with proper theology. Paul's motive, he says in verse 14, look at it, may it never be that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, if we're going to boast, we're going to boast about Jesus. If we're going to boast, we're going to boast about not the way our retirement fund looks, not the, the house that we just built or the vacations we've taken or the places we've been or the accomplishments of our kids even. We're going to boast in Jesus. So when's the last time you boasted about the Savior to someone? When's the last time you said, hey, let me tell you about my Jesus. Let me tell you what he's done for me. Let me tell you what he's accomplished. Let me tell you what our Savior has done. Boasting in Jesus. You've overcome an addiction. Do you talk about the program or do you talk about Jesus? Your marriage has been repaired. Do you tell people about how Jesus did that? Your kids are grown up or, or growing up and, and they're, being, they're, 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 just, they're, they're honoring God with their lives. Do you, do you talk about the great parent you are or do you talk about the great God you have? Do you see the difference? Is our boasting in ourselves and our accomplishments or our boasting in Jesus? Jeremiah puts it this way. He says, let him who, not, not a wise man boast of his wisdom, let not a mighty man boast of his might, not let, a, let not a rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me. You boast in who God is and what he's done through you. You know, take a look around our building. God has blessed us in many ways for a long time, for a long time. And we say, to him be the glory, great things he's done. And I pray when you're in the streets and you say, hey, I, I go to TBC that, and they talk about what God has done, you'll say, to God be the glory. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. Amen? We want to give him all honor and glory and praise for who he is and what he's done. So Paul says, let our motives be pure. And not only that, he says, let's make sure in the midst of that that our theology is proper as well. Let all praise go to him. And by the way, if anybody had a right to brag, Paul did. Paul did. And he said, here's my theology. My theology is the cross has power. The cross has real power. First of all, the cross has a power to free us from the world's bondage. Look at the end of verse 14. He says, when I boast, I boast in Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. <clears throat> Paul says, I, I want you to know the cross of Christ has the power to free us from the world's bondage. Now, I don't know about you, but there are times when I am ensnared by the world. There are times when I feel like I've got one foot in the word, one foot in the world, and I go back and forth at times. There are some times when I want to be full on for Christ, and then there are times when I feel like I'm being reeled in somehow. There are times when each of us, I think if we admit it, we want to walk intensely with Jesus, but we find ourselves being tugged by the world. There are things in the world that tug us. There are things in the world that we... That, that we, I, I just turned 62 last month, and in, in the midst of turning 62, yeah, I get this statement from my financial guy every month. Well, for years, I really wasn't that concerned about it. I'd take a look at it and throw it aside. Now, at 62, I'm thinking, one day, I'd like to retire sometime in the distant future. The way it's gone, I think I'll be about 85 when that happens, but that's a whole other story. But, but the reality of it is, I, I, I have much more interest in that, and I find myself thinking, why? Why is that? Why am I so interested in, and there's nothing wrong with stuff of this world. We're to be in the world, but not of the world. And he says, it's the power of the cross that frees us from the world. I don't know about you, but I mean, sometimes the world's a hard place. I, I meet with families that are struggling. I meet with families that have just lost loved ones, and the world can be a harsh place. 
And I realized the power to escape the bondage of the world and free us is through the cross of Christ. That doesn't mean we get taken out of this place, but it means it all comes together through the gospel and in Jesus. So when you realize you're being tugged by the world, and let's face it, in a body this size, there are folks tugged by the world right now. Some of you involved in relationships you shouldn't be involved in. Some of you doing things you'd be ashamed of if we had you stand up and say, tell me where you were and what you did last night. And if you find yourself bound up in the things of the world, it's the cross of Jesus that frees you. Secondly, it can do what the flesh cannot do. Paul, a final jab at the false teacher, says, you know, it doesn't matter if you're circumcised or not. That is not the issue. The issue is whether or not you are a new creation. Whether you're a new creation. In 2 Corinthians 5, it says we are new creation in Christ. We're new creatures in Christ. Old things pass away. New things come. You see, the cross can accomplish what the flesh cannot. Trusting in the law, trusting in circumcision, trusting in the flesh will never, ever redeem you. But the reality is you become a new creation in Christ. Old things pass away. New things come when you trust Christ to be your Savior. And at that time, you are forever different. And Paul says, as a slam, these guys, they're teaching it's Christ plus circumcision, Christ plus preaching the law. And if you look at that next verse, verse 15, he says, it doesn't matter if you're circumcised or not. That's the old covenant. That's the old way. What matters is the cross. And finally, Paul says, in proper theology, you have peace and it brings you mercy. The cross of Christ brings you peace. If there's anything our world needs, it's peace. Amen. I mean, you look at the world we live in, there's so much peace that's lacking, the peace among nations, the peace among people, and internal peace among individuals. And he says it's the grace of the cross that brings you peace and brings you mercy. He says to the Israel of God, look at the last portion of the verse, who is the Israel of God? It's the called out ones, it's the redeemed, it's those who follow after Christ. The new creation has begun, Christ came into the world. The message was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent the kingdom of God is at hand. And he's ushering in a new kingdom that will culminate in a new creation of heavens and earth. And he's left us here to enjoy the beginning of that kingdom and all the way to its fruition when he makes all things right. And the Israel of God are those of us who have been the called out ones, the redeemed, the church. He's arguing for unity in the body. And he's saying the power of the cross frees us from this world's bondage, accomplishes what our flesh cannot accomplish, and brings us peace and mercy. So if you are trusting, if you're trusting in the flesh, your works and achievements for salvation, not going to happen. If you're bound up by the world, there's hope through the cross. And if you need peace and mercy extended to you, to be part of your heart, it comes through the cross of Christ. Paul writes these words, nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ, even we who have believed have been justified. It's faith in Christ alone. Paul says at the end, I bear the marks of, I bear the marks of Jesus. He's a branded man. He's a branded man. I bear my body, the marks of persecution. And I believe the message of Galatians is quite simple. We're liberated and united by the gospel of grace. It's the message of Galatians. It's what Paul recaptures in chapter 6. He says, we, that is the called out ones, the church, we are liberated, that is we're free, and we're united as a family. We are one in Christ. We're no longer Jew or Gentile, slave nor free. 
We're no longer male nor female. We are one in Christ. And that happens only through the gospel. The message of the gospels is a message of being cleansed from sin. I'm going to show you a video to end this, to capture everything I hope we've talked about in Galatians. We're caught in our sins, and in that we feel like we need to be punished. But God extends to us grace and mercy so we might have peace. Let's play that. message of Galatians. It's a message of the gospel. Father, we thank you. We thank you for cleansing. We thank you that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We thank you that you make us new creations in Christ. Old things pass away, new things come. 
We thank you you're in the process of making all things right. We thank you that we are the God of Israel, that indeed we are the called out, the chosen ones. If you're here today and you're not sure if Christ is your Savior, maybe you've been trusting in Christ plus something else. Paul says that's a different gospel. The gospel is faith in Christ alone. Would you bow before him and pray with me right now, just right where you sit. Lord Jesus, I place my faith in you alone for the forgiveness of my sin. I ask you to be my Savior. Or maybe you know the Savior and you recognize you've been doing a whole lot of stuff in the flesh. You're in bondage to the world. You don't have peace and you need mercy extended to you. Would you make this morning a morning where you confess that before God? Where you become restored to a walk with him beginning this day. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the simplicity and the complexity of the gospel of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Bless you.